0: Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Audio Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today, again, we have another fantastic guest here on the show. We have Dan Norenberg. Now, Dan is the author of Executive Ownership. He is a trusted advisor, consultant, speaker, just to mention a few. And his area of expertise is all about creating highly effective leadership teams. And today we're going to be covering specifically more around for you guys, the small business owner, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, how, what's the what, what are some of the key ingredients that you need with regards to building teams. We're also going to be talking a little bit about what game changing means, so the game changes concept. We're also going to be talking a little bit about some of the things which is based around ownership, right? What are the things that we need to be part of in terms of what do we, what do we need in terms of key ingredients in terms of ownership with regards to building fast and effective teams? So that's what we're going to be covering, guys. Hope you to enjoy the show. And Dan, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Adam. It's a pleasure to join you today. I'm happy to be here.
0: Awesome. So interestingly enough, I know that you are obviously you're American right so uh, I, I, you know when we when we um, spoke off there I, I think you said that you were from uh, the Midwest and uh, yes. but, but you're now in Munich Germany right yeah. tell me yeah. wh- wh- why why Germany well I mean there's a million places in this world I wouldn't have thought Germany to be any kind of holiday destination but what, what what's, the, what's the story behind that
1: well, let me, let me give you the front end and the back end. So the sure. front end of the story is, you know, I have a background in psychology and criminology. Wanted to become a lawyer, thought I better do one year in business, uh, moved to California to do one year of business, got in that high tech area, Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. got into office automation and photovoltaics and fell into sort of sales and marketing with two high growth companies and moved into management very, very soon. And very results oriented guy in the US, if you get results, they tend to move you up even not really ready for it. So perhaps some early lessons about how not to lead, uh, I learned very well. And uh, and unfortunately, the company that I was with, and I would have stayed there the rest of my life, uh, unfortunately, was just before its time. It was votable takes before it was really an industry. They went out of business. I had sold my house. Uh, my girlfriend and I had broken up. I didn't have any family, any job. And I thought, you know, I always wanted to go to Europe. And I thought I'd take a you know a nine-day trip to Europe and sort of reset myself and come back for my next big thing in the U S. and got to europe and just was really really exciting and 9 days wasn't enough uh, extended it to 21 days went through i don't know paris and geneva <laughs> and stuttgart and munich and munich for me was a little bit like a little bit like iowa you know as Bill Bryson describes it, sort of, <laughs> it's sort of country here. It's not, it's not London. It also has a bit of an international flair. You've got Siemens and BMW, the biotech companies, Absolutely. and it was it, that was really like a little bit like California without the beach. And then went back and, and long story short, just decided to um, to to make a go of it here. And that was uh, that nine day holiday is now on thirty years. <laughs> so that's the front end of the story, but the back end of the story, which might be interesting because you're one of the leaders in this whole movement of game-changing, is what the story behind my stay here was that at the end of the trip, as I was back in Paris for my last few days, um, thinking about going back to the States and I had a wonderful holiday, the second to night, the, the night before I was supposed to fly back to LA, I had this horrific dream and I, I saw myself being 80 years old. Back in California, pushing the lawnmower with two and a half kids, two and a half cars, which is a, you know, a nice dream to have. (laughs) But I was, I was haunted by the thought of being, um, you know, at the end of my life where I couldn't really, there was no time on the clock, really wondering would I have any regret. When I look back to those, I was about 30 at the time. Will I have any regret not spending more time in Europe, perhaps learning a foreign language Perhaps exploring what Europe might offer to me. I, I love the states, so it wasn't like I was trying to get away from the states. And that 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 thought of regret was so profound for me that the next day I thought, you know, I can't take that flight back to LA. I've got to go back to Munich. Munich just seemed to be where I had a good feeling. And I I didn't speak a word of German. I didn't know a single person, and I didn't have any legal work papers. And then was able through the support of a lot of people over the years to build a seven figure consulting company. So. For the folks that are listening, that are thinking about you know that decision in their life about what to do, what not to do, for me, what's been a real guidance system, internal guidance system about about changing my game and changing my clients' game is probably as you do too is like, is I have a real good nose for regret, and I want to, I'd like to live a life where I don't have regrets, so I always, I can smell the smoke before I see the fire, and if I think I might regret something, I really consider that a lot deeper, so anyway, a little bit of a background and as to what brought me to Munich, and then, of course, later met a wonderful woman who's become my best friend and wife, and we've got a couple kids who are sort of bilingual, and, uh, and uh, yeah, that's the story.
0: Love it, love it, love it, fantastic, very good, and as it's kind of like the fairy tale end to everything, and I love that, it's very good
1: it sounds like a fairy tale now but you know when you're going through that you know when when you're taking clients as we do through difficult situations and you're kind of in the middle of it it's like being in the kitchen of a meal that's only half done it looks like a mess you've got flour and food and pots and pans but then an hour later when it's on the table when it's that great christmas dinner thanksgiving then it's really something wonderful and for four or five years i was sort of um I was sort of in a stage of both being euphoric, like I'm doing something that I'd never done before, to quote William Shatner, but on the other hand, I was like, "Have I lost my mind because I really had to go back to some, started some very fundamental things, you know, I, you know, living in an apartment with college kids, you know, I was 30 years old, I mean, it's just strange, (laughs) but if you you pursue what you really want to do, um, you know, it's about not being ordinary, and I know that's, uh, that's uh, something that's important to you as well.
0: Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Love it. Very cool. So um, interestingly enough, I know that a lot of our listeners are, uh, well, I, guess, I suppose the, the small business owner or the entrepreneur and stuff like that. And I know that you work with, you know, a wide diversity of companies, small and large, um, in your in your years of experience in working with effective teams. Um, now, I suppose my, my, my first real question really is, um, what is the... I suppose, what is the necessary experience, uh, necessary key ingredients that you need in order to put together a high performance team? So if you're if you're a very inexperienced leader or if you're um, or if your company is going through fast growth and you, you just haven't maybe mastered the skills in thinking, oh, you know, that person would be a good Person or that person would be a good person. Are there any keen uh, any sort of advice that you have for people that are very inexperienced in growing high performance teams? Yeah,
1: that's that's, that's a great question. And um, I think whether whether you're whether you're inexperienced or very experienced, it's still a very challenging game. And I think that I'd say two things. Number one is we're still moving. Two things we know let's say western europe north america this very individualistic cultures where we're used to having this individualistic hero you know the solo leader knowing it all built all and it often can get very very lonely there and i think one of the biggest things i would say is is to be is to to release the burden that you have to do everything alone even if you're running a very very small business you know, you've know, you got to uh, be able to access and connect with the system around you. That could be clients, that could be people even that work for you, that maybe even are in the management team. So I would say the keys are, don't feel that you have to do it alone. Uh, we're also moving from a time 15 years ago, I was speaking to a CEO of a, of a very large organization yesterday in Scandinavia. We were talking about the differences that leadership is uh, what's taken place in the last 10 to 15 years. 15 years ago, we were still looking at, saw a, a high highly effective leader as someone who was maybe more command and control, you know, maybe more knew everything, was driving the business, and even sometimes small business owners who have their vision, feel that they've got to carry that on their own. And it's no longer the case. It's more today about being able to connect with people, helping other people be successful, and giving them some leeway and some rope to be able to experiment and maybe even do things a little bit slower than the senior leader might do it but it's whether you've got a small business or a large business it's the people around you and how they experience success is what's really going to drive your business success
0: love it very cool that's that's, that's really interesting um and and i suppose having uh i suppose I, i'm also also fascinated by the different personalities that you end up working with and making sure that you have the right people in the right places based on their personality traits what's your thoughts on that
1: well i think that it's, it's another question that if you look at highly successful teams mm. and this is where, I'd be, where I'd be a little the contra here if you look at highly successful teams whether it's cricket or football, basketball sports or even business it's always a, a wide variety of personality makers right mm-hmm. and and, and sometimes leaders will say to me, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for that team of A players. And what I remind them of, I say, go back and look at any successful team, any championship team in any sport, in any country. And you find that the, the team is comprised not only of A players, but of B players and of C players. So it's not exactly a answer to question about the personality, but the first thing I want to help leaders recognize is this. This, this search for this ideal team of uh, 8A players is really non-existent. The key is, how do I make the most out of the people that I have? Another tendency that leaders have, leaders have a tendency to hire people or to bring people on who are like them, right? Because we, we, the ego wants to be right. We want confirmation of what we're doing. But it creates a very one-sided leadership. So let's don't confuse Um, differences with, uh, you know, differences are really important for a leadership team. Studies show us time and time again that teams that are homogeneous, so made of similar makeup people, they have a certain, let's say, possibility of success and a certain, you know, uh, risk of failure, but that band isn't very wide. Time and time again, we see the more diverse the teams are in personality, in thinking, in backgrounds, the higher possibility, I mean, the risk is higher, if you don't get it right, but if you do get it right, uh, the rewards are much higher. So I, I think that's, what's important, uh, is about personalities. Just, you know, try to bring the best out of people and, and make sure you're exchanging and talking to people to see what's important for them.
0: True. That's, it's an important, it's an, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to, uh, what we talked about in, 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 in later on in the conversation, cause, uh, something that really triggered off in something, but I, I, I kind of want to move along with something. So, okay. Um, Interestingly enough, I know that we talked about this actually before, like business leaders and also business owners can feel like they have this heavy burden on their shoulders. Right. And they're carrying it along with them. Um, You've written a great book, which is all around executive ownership. How can we create that culture of ownership? How can we sort of say, you know what, you're not just here as an employee, you're here to take ownership of your responsibilities. We, we, we need to create this cohesion, this synchronicity or whatever you wanna call it. How can we create that culture of ownership?
1: First of all, the thing about you're in a meeting and you're talking to leaders and they, and they say that, they say exactly what you say. I'd like, to create, I'd like to create an ownership culture. I'd like to get my employees more involved. I think the first thing you have to recognize is that ownership is not something that we can delegate. Mm. Right. It comes on the management agenda. It could be a small business, it could be a middle-sized business, or even a large business. Mm. But I've heard so often people you know, say, "God, I'd really like to. I'd really like to get more ownership in my business." And that's where I've used the word ownership because there's a there's a sort of a nuance there. Love it, love it. You know, we can we can delegate responsibility. You know, responsibility is about clarity and understanding what's expected of me. Whether I'm working in a small shop or in a mid-sized business, I know what I'm to do. And responsibility can be something that can be collective, right? We can have we can have everybody in a in a manufacturing plant mm-hmm. being responsible for safety, right? And and the next stage of engagement. So responsibility is our first level of engagement. The second level of engagement is is accountability. And accountability and, and responsibility are similar. I can also delegate accountability, but accountability is different than responsibility because it rests with one person. You know the the petty cash box. In the, in the office, in the administrative office, there aren't two sets of keys to the petty cash. There's only one set of key, and that's usually the secretary, whatever, it's not the CEO or the, or the general manager, because it's gotta be one person accountable. So right. that we could also delegate, but ownership is different because ownership is the space of discretionary effort. That means that we have to, as a leader, we have to create conditions of trust, responsibility, mm-hmm. autonomy, the ability to make mistakes, the ability to even take a business trip, business trip and go visit a customer that I think is in need without having to go up three levels in the organization. Mm-hmm. Those are the conditions that we start to create where people accept an invitation. I want to have I want to have more say in what's going on here. I'm willing to do more as because it's an exciting environment and I can shape more. And I think that's an important distinction around ownership. You know, people say, I, like, I want to ownership culture. I say, well, how many people have to sign off on your project manager when he, fl- when he wants to fly to Istanbul to check on his project? And we check it out and you've got to jump through seven windows. Now, that's another thing. And just one other example there. To what degree, you know, can people say no to me if I'm the boss? You know, I worked with somebody the other day and they said, you know, Dan, nobody says no to me. I don't take no for an answer. And I said, hey, "Have you heard yourself speak? You know what that's really saying. If people can't say no to you, if they can't negotiate what they do to a degree, or understand why it makes sense, or be able to prioritize, mm. you're going to you're going to get people to do what you want them to do, but you're certainly not going to have ownership."
0: That's true, and and also you're going to piss people off as well along the way.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you, well, if you're lucky, you'll piss them off the language, but if you're lucky, you'll piss them off because they don't know they're dissatisfied. Mm what's even, what's what's worse is to have people silently be at low levels of engagement. They're fulfilling the very lowest, you know, uh, criteria that they need to do. So if someone gets upset or angry, that should be a flag for you. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's too late, but it's important.
0: True, true. Love it. Very cool. Now, interestingly enough, we, 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 we did fairly sort of um, scrape the uh, scrape, uh, the top of this, of the icing on the cake. But I know that, and, and you'll know this from experience working with some of the top leaders of, uh, you know, people that manage billion dollar uh, companies to even a small business owner. But we, we're probably in agreement here that it can be lonely at the top, right? It's going to often lead to isolation, depression. Um, it can often lead to, um, it, it can often lead to a, a pathway where not we wouldn't want to see any business leader or business owner go down. But how does it? I would like to talk about number 1 the reasons why it happens so that's the first thing and secondly as a as a how does it affect our team performance
1: well it's it's, it's like if i have a glass of water i mean a, a a bowl of water which represents the team climate and i either heat, and i either drop an ice cube in or something that's warm it's going to change the temperature so whatever temperature or climate or emotional state the senior leader is in that will have an impact on what's happening in the team climate. So um, and we see this sometimes as sort of an example of what you just shared is is in senior leaders that you know that was sort of a sort of pre-COVID it was sort of it was sort of cool to be stressed right? It was sort of cool to be overworked. It was sort of cool to be the full agenda. It was sort of cool to be back-to-back business trips. So if I'm reporting to a guy like that, who wants to be a part of that? True. Right. So I think what I think COVID, uh, with all its tragedy and all its setbacks and the health and the loss of life and everything else, if nothing else, it's helped us to be, it's helped us to sort of reset what's important. It's allowed us to be authentic and to be. I think in some degrees although we're separated sometimes a little bit by distance in the remote working style it's allowed us to be a little more um a little more intimate with each other and i think that's you know extremely important that 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 leaders be very conscious about what am i carrying into the room if i'm if i'm stressed and i'm overworked or i'm talking about how busy i am um, this obviously doesn't create a climate where people feel they want to perform. So what can I do about that? Well, a great investment is to look at an outside coach, advisor, or sparring partner. You know, the, the business that we're in, These, the, the, the return of investment of having someone from the outside who's not in your family, who's not in your team, who's not co- connected to the system, who's solely there to support you, to play at your best, and to, and, and to do it in a way that you feel fulfilled is worth its weight in gold. And that's number one. And number two, because if I think what I'm seeing certainly throughout this whole leadership community, the whole professional community, it's now okay to ask for help or it's becoming, uh, it's more uh, okay to ask for help. So these different peer groups, I mean, I also do peer coaching groups that I run. So groups, People from different companies can come together. They meet three times a year, either face-to-face or virtually. I think you've got some groups like that too. And to allow leaders a chance to sort of exchange their ideas. And those are two very valuable things to do. And then of course, being active, recognizing that you can't put everything into work, right? You've got to get out and have your run or take your swim or something like that. A good leader is a balanced leader.
0: It's interesting because I'm, I mean, I've I've known people, um, even clients you know, maybe not so much now, but where they sacrifice their, their, their well-being, their health, which uh, for just living the business dream, right? Whatever that looks like. Oh, but I'm doing it, you know, for my family, I'm doing it for this and whatever it is. But I, I, I think we're seeing a shift now in people's attitudes and behaviors with regards to, okay, well, now I feel like I do need to look after myself. It's, but maybe, do you feel like people are becoming more consciously aware of, of what's happening, not just in the world right now, but also how I can be a better leader.
1: Well, I think that has to do with as we move through the whole phase of the baby boom to Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z. So that's 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 a part of it. Where people want a full life, and they want to see that also in their leaders as well. And so I think that's a I think that's part of it. This balance, and I think that this whole COVID piece has, has helped us recognize that you know. I can be at home and still do my business and all, but I also have to learn when to cut off the business and to move into my family or my private time. So I think it's really, really important because what what we're asking, you know, leadership is really about creating followership. It's nothing that I can force. It's like, it's like ownership. So, so in in what way do I need to show up in a way that people feel compelled to follow me? And in most cases, what, what I see today is that leaders that are authentic that are vulnerable, that not only seek a balanced life for themselves, but also encourage their people to have a balanced life, um, are people that are exciting and people wanna follow them. And also when leaders show an interest in personal and self-development, not only for themselves, but for their teams is also important. And that can be in a small operation or a medium or large sized operation.
0: Love it, love it, very cool. Now, interestingly enough, Obviously, as you know, I love talking about, um, you know, uh, the, the concept of game changers, right? Or game changing or whatever it is that you want to call it. Based on our conversation, which is all around um, ownership and teams, what do you think is the real difference between a, a, a game changing team and an ordinary team? What are the big subtle differences in terms of maybe skill sets or the way they behave or the habits what do you think, uh, uh, even because I, I mean, I'm a big fan of sport, as you know. So are you. Yeah. I mean, and uh, I know there's huge correlations between uh, team sport and and also how to bring that into business. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, well, let, let me I'll let me focus on leadership teams because there's 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 business teams, projects, teams and business teams. And there, there are leadership teams which have a so, so different dynamic. Um, there's more weight on their shoulders and things like that. I, I see three three distinctions. There are three things, and these can apply also to a variety of teams, but primarily my focus is leadership teams. I've worked with 150 of them on three different continents, but the the really highly effective leadership teams have a very clear and aligned picture about what the future success looks like for their business. And this is really absolutely critical. So they're, they're willing to do the hard work. They're willing to deal with the uncertainty to really forge together, to not only create a clear picture, which is not just a series of numbers, about 12 or 13%, but about the, the purpose and meaning of the business, how it's creating value for customers at some point in the future. Right. That's number one. Something easy to talk about, but very difficult to do. True. Not only to create the clear, but to create the alignment. That's number one. Number two The effective teams separated from other teams are that effective teams have a process for continuous improvement in their leadership team. That could be a feedback round. That could be fireside chats. That could be going offsite uh, twice a year or meeting even at the pub on Friday afternoon to say what's happened well this week in our team, not just the business, but in our team and what didn't work so well and how can we fix this? So having a continuous process for improvement and the third thing i would say because if you can't run continuous improvement in your team how could you expect to run continuous improvement across an entire business sure. so it starts with the nucleus of the team and and third thing which is more about the leadership teams is that also often leadership teams because they have so much on their agenda and they're dealing with all these issues on the dashboard there is dysfunction very few are really working at their very very best um and they underestimate they underestimate how their dysfunction, the leadership team, how much havoc that causes in the organization. Now, so those are the three points I would say. It's about clear picture of the future, having a a systematic process for improvement, and number three, being either naive or not being aware of how those dysfunctions in the leadership team, how much havoc that creates in the organization. And just on that note, if I may, uh, Adam, I recently, um, there's a recent survey that's out. It's the Executive uh, Develop Associates. They're a US based group, but they recently surveyed over a thousand companies, mid sized large organizations, about leadership. And because of my background with leadership teams, they asked me last year to contribute some questions that would help them tap into sort of what's happening in the leadership team area. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, and these are top companies. Um, of those surveyed, these were thousands of senior professionals in many different industries, 86% said that leadership teams are critical to the success of a company's success. Yet only 17% of those polls said that their leadership teams were high effective. And only 3% of those polls said they had a systematic approach for continuous improvement in their teams. So whether I'm in a business that is either large, medium or, or, or small, one of the things that I would take out of this conversation is that what's the process for continuous improvement that I have for myself, which I know you're really uh, uh, an advocate of, what's my process for continuous improvement? And for my team, what is our process for continuous improvement? And that doesn't have to be you know, reinventing every four weeks, but. Yeah. Are we continually reflecting on what's happened in improvement? Simple example. I'm a guy who's really into fundamentals. You know, I played football also at a collegiate level. And, you know, every year, no matter how good you are, you always go back to the fundamentals. And I think the business meeting, which every business person has to do, the business meeting is, a, is the nucleus of a company culture. Yeah. So one of the tools that I introduce to the teams that I work with is at the conclusion of every meeting is simply and running a good meeting is tough. We know that, right? There's a lot of issues. You've got to run them every week. You've got sales meeting, you got business meetings, production meetings, project meetings, but at the end of every meeting, simply take a poll of those present and say, you know, on a scale from one to 10, you know, how results-oriented was this meeting? That's your, that's your, your y-axis. you right. up and down Vertical glasses. How effective was this meeting? How results oriented was it? And people can just rate it. Well, it was a six, a seven, eight, ten's very good. One's not very good. And the second question is, in terms of collaborative climate, you know, the way that we talk with each other, the way we build on ideas, you know, does it feel like a group of Roman gladiators fighting each other in the meeting? You know, what sometimes happens, That's a one. Or does it? Do I leave the meeting being more energized than I came in? That would be an eight or nine or ten. And then you look at that, that interface between the results orientation, the collaboration, and you have a point. It's subjective, of course, but you're doing a little reflection. And then you simply say, what's one thing that we could do to either improve the effectiveness of our meeting or make the climate more collaborative? Even doing that every two weeks shows people in the organization, we're out to get a little bit better every day. We're out to get a little bit better every day. So, So those are my reflections on that point.
0: Love it, love it, love it. That's some good points there, and 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 for you guys that are listening in, by the way, um, I hope you're making some good notes because I think uh, what Dan's given you there is is you know, and, and I am a big advocate of continuous improvement and sharp and what I call sharpening your axe because if you're yes. not sharpening your axe, essentially you're going to be left behind. And there are plenty of um, examples, not just on an individual basis, but also from a company perspective, of companies that have come in. And they've died or literally just barely surviving now and there are so many great examples of that and and it's all because they haven't actually taken you know dan's advice on board and uh haven't actually you know because they feel like they they have all the answers or they're just living in the present rather than the future so um good points there dan love it very good um interestingly enough i i I do want to talk about um i want to go back to high performance teams and what really keeps a high performance team together in terms of the glue? Because, you know, for me, you know, that really, um, if you don't have the glue, essentially it's all going to fall apart really, isn't it? What is, what, what's the glue that keeps the a high performance team together? Are there any intricacies or any thoughts there, maybe from your book or whatever it might be that you think, okay, these are the key necessary ingredients that you need to keep that uh, high performance team together.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, through my work with over a hundred uh, executive and strategic teams, I came across some sort of, sort of unconventional, say, sequ- I won't call them secrets, but you know, we all talk about you know having a good strategy or having the clear goal or something like that. You know, the burning agenda, which is all true. Mm. However, however, what what I saw that working with teams, what really set the high-performing teams apart from sort of the mediocre teams was number one, a concept that I call uh, resilient relationships. Now, if we think about resiliency, which is I know a key topic of yours, but re- resiliency is, is the ability to be able to bounce back from a situation. And I recognize this and have documented this also in my book, that resilient resi- relationships mean the ability to be able to have tough conversations Still respectful, but tough conversations with colleagues about what's working and what's not working, you know, yeah. and 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 also to be able to provide help to, br- to provide feedback about someone who's not doing something. Now, if I customer care, if I'm in customer care in a business, do I have the ability to go into the sales department and say how maybe their sales approach is creating problems for us in customer care? Do I, have, do, do I have the permission to do that in the company culture? And do I also have the skills be able to do that? So resilient relationships, can I give feedback? Can I be critiqued? Do I ask people for feedback about my performance around the people that work around me? That's absolutely key. We sort of know that implicitly, but that was a very clear indicator, number one. Number two is about having a clear purpose. One of the things that I notice in leadership teams, which sets the good away from the mediocre, is that... In these leadership teams, everybody's responsible for a function in the leadership team, head of sales, head of supply chain, head of production, for example. And oftentimes they'll say to me, Dan, I wish people would just let me do my job. And I say, well, what does that mean? Well, just let me run supply chain. Just let me run the sales group. Yes, but you also have a foot in the leadership team. What are your obligations there? So highly effective teams also recognize that they have a higher purpose, higher than their function. So do we recognize and 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 acknowledge that we have a purpose? And it's not just to push company profits, it's also, and the secret, the secret connection point here is the customer. Yeah. Is the customer the center of everything you do? That helps build on that. So I think that having a strong purpose is also valuable. And then thirdly, there's some structural issues. So do we have a do we have a good results-driven structure? Do we have a good communication system in the company? Do we have a process for making decisions? And do we have also a regular way of giving feedback to each other? And I would say those three things are it. It's about the resilient relationships, having a stronger, higher purpose above my function. And number three, having a results-driven structure.
0: Love it. And this is really kind of the type of, um, I suppose, this is the type of language that I love talking about, you know, and it's so in tune with 2021 and, and moving forward as, as, we, as companies evolve. Because I believe that, you know businesses going through evolution and the new ways of working in the digital world but also you know just in for the future as well i think it's going to stay as well uh, so i yeah. think that you, well, I mean,
1: think- and that's why that's why that's why i wrote the book executive ownership i originally wrote that book simply because i wanted to consolidate the experiences of working with well over 100 leadership teams I wanted to put that together and see where were the common patterns so that I would have a toolkit that I could use with future clients. That was, that was the original purpose. Then the second thing I thought, you know, probably some of the clients that I'm working with would like to have access to this because some of the workshops run differently. I've done things in Asia and North America, but why not put it together so everybody can access that? And then I started thinking, well, what about companies that, you know, don't know me and I'll never work with But they'd still aspire to have a high performance team. So that was sort of the, the behind the book. And now I'm seeing a lot of consultants enjoy getting the book, a lot of coaches, because the majority of people are still focused on leadership as an individual endeavor. Mm-hmm. And I've written the book in such a way that it's very much focused around how do we build highly effective teams in small and large organizations, but in a very pragmatic way. So there. are you know, short stories that describe a key learning point, and there's a lot of tools in that book. So even if you're, you know, an individual entrepreneur um, aspiring to, to take your ideas to the next level, I think you'll find several accelerators in there that will help you um, be, become even more successful than you are today.
0: Love it. Very good. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, listen, John. God, um, um, oh, John, bloody hell. Dan. My, I, I, my I, brother's. I, my, bro- I, my brother's John. I've got no, a brother named. I I think, I think, I think I was kind of, I I was, I was daydreaming, right? And I I just, I just had, obviously, I was speaking to John Spence yesterday, and we had some great conversations. And so,
1: Adam, what you you don't realize is, I've been called John half of my life from my mother and father, who, God bless them, they're no longer here, but my (laughs) younger brothers, my younger brothers, John, and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a fitting, fitting. (laughs)
0: Isn't that just weird? That's just like kind of the universe, kind of like hit me in the face or something like that. But um, listen, Dan. Good déjà
1: vu memory for me. Yeah,
0: absolutely fantastic, really good. Uh, I first of all, I just want to say, um, guys, hope you've enjoyed today's um, particular show uh, with Dan uh, because I think he's given you some great tips, some advice, and if you um, if you want to learn more about Dan, obviously please make sure that you click on the links below. Check out his book, which is available on Amazon and all good um, sort of bookstores and stuff like that. Dan, I just want to say, thank you so much for being on today's show. Really appreciate you.
1: My pleasure. Just a really honor to join you. I love your mission. I love what you're doing, Adam. And uh, uh, I'm pleased to be a part of your movement and what you're doing. Thank you.
0: Awesome. And guys, uh, by the way, if you do, what I was going to say is if you do have any questions for Dan as well around team performance, uh, leadership, or anything like that, anything that has resonated with you throughout today's show, please feel free to reach out to him. You can do so on LinkedIn or on his website. Just mention the Game Changers audio experience, and then he can kind of you know, tap two and two, 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 and two together. So uh, from me and Dan, just want to say thanks very much, and I hope you've enjoyed today's show, and uh, hopefully we'll see you again back here again. See you soon. Take care. Bye bye. Hey you guys, I just wanna say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers Experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights